Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 83. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, we can treat full schedules and wild-eyed, crazy, busy times like a badge of honor. In fact, it might feel strange to tell somebody that we are just relaxing. Heaven forbid our lives aren't going a million miles every minute. We've said previously how God has designed us for work, but that's only part of the story. We are designed to have a rhythm of work and rest. That is where real joy can enter our day-to-day lives. But it all starts with getting ruthless about one thing. Check it out. If someone asks you how you're doing, we usually here in America have one of two common answers that we use. I'm fine, or I've been so busy. Usually it comes in some Google-eyed, mad scientist kind of way. I've been so crazy busy, it's nuts. Now you would think if somebody answered that question that way, all mad scientists and everything like that, we would run away from them as though they were chasing us down with a chainsaw. But how do we respond when somebody says, I'm so crazy busy? Atta boy, way to go. You know, it can seem so strange to maybe hear that question, what are you doing, how are you doing, and just say, I'm just relaxing. I'm just chilling out. Sometimes even we'll hurry up to go do something just so we don't have to answer that question that way because it seems so strange to do that. But I don't think that's how God designed us to live. I don't think God designed us to give up some 6,000 years of non-used vacation days a year. Yes, we in America love us some busy. Dare I say it, there might be another way. A way that allows us to actually enjoy life. A way that allows us to maybe enjoy the fruits of those seasons that, yeah, we are so crazy busy. It's called rest or Sabbath. I know it's such a weird concept. Rest is the antidote to crazy busy and hurry. You know, my brother is has been a entrepreneur. He's owned his own business now for over 20 years. And he will often meet up with a coaching group. And after all this time, he's got this group together and tells me this story of his coach, Mr. Sullivan, I believe. He said there are three kinds of days. He's talking about the the business world. He says there's focus days there's buffer days, and there's free days. And the whole group is like, so those free days, those are when you plan out and you project and you uh, strategize and you do all, you know, you think ahead and all that sort of stuff. The coach goes, no. The free days are when you do nothing dealing with work. You go chill out with your family. You go hit the links, whatever your thing is. And the whole group looked at the coach like he had just grown a second head. I mean, it's such a foreign idea. Rest? Stop? And as foreign as it may be in our culture, it really is, I believe, the way that we're made. You know, I I said a few weeks ago that God designed us for work and that, that God is a God who works. God did it in creation And if we are created in God's image, there's a part of our DNA that is designed for work, for creation, for producing, for adding value to the world. 
But that's only half the story. Because as God says, when we read the creation narrative out of Genesis 2, the first two verses out of Genesis 2, after he's done so much creating, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Now think just for an instant here. If God could create the universe, kind of a special, unique talent to doing that. If God could create the universe, could God have created it in one day? I'm going to guess yes. I'm going to guess God was not limited by his ability that he had to take six days to do it. Yet why does God take six days to create? Oh, and then why does God create a seventh day just to rest? Was it that creation pooped God out and he needed to lay on the celestial hammock for 24 hours and catch his breath? I don't think so. In fact, Jesus says in Mark's gospel that the Sabbath, this idea was for, of rest, was created for man. Not man for the Sabbath and not really the Sabbath being created for God because God needed to rest. Could it be that God created this harmony of work and rest, work and rest, this rhythm, and built that into our DNA? Rest is a gift. But as human beings, we so often get into this mode that when we get a gift, we instantly ask, so how much do I owe you? Jesus expounds in a conversation out of Luke 6. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. Now, Jesus and his entourage, they're hungry guys. Anybody ever been hungry? Pretty universal human need at some point to have food. So, what do they do? They eat. It was not thievery back then, as you're going through a grain field, even if it's not yours, to pluck some grains, do what you need to do, and eat them on the road. That was common practice and totally accepted and everything like that. They're not stealing. The finger waggers are not looking at Jesus for stealing. Rather, they're looking at him for verse 2. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? There's that theme. The Sabbath and them's rules. See, the idea was, they had this way of picking the grain was like harvesting and rubbing it together to, to get the chaff and the wheat separated was like threshing. I'm not a grain person, so this is all out of my head, not out of my experience. Eating was like preparing food. So it's like bang, bang, bang. You just have all these ideas of work on the Sabbath. And work was the big no-no on the Sabbath. It would have been considered work for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees go finger-wagging, nope, nope, nope. Why do you do what is not allowed on the Sabbath? See, these Pharisees have a way of adding rules on top of rules. They are the ones who want the law book that's, you know, six inches thick. Because they love them some rules. And this case is no different. But I don't want to throw them under the bus too quickly. Because God has given us this gift of Sabbath, okay? 
Hopefully we got that much straight. So how do we do it well? What does rest look like? What does Sabbath look like? What's the three steps to Sabbath? That's sort of what these guys are trying to figure out. And they're trying to come up with some kind of tangible way to put book, chapter, and verse to how do we do Sabbath right? So they're trying to figure this out. They're like the engineers of Sabbath, if you will. Trying to figure Sabbath out, not to throw engineers under the bus either, because I'd be getting pretty flat myself. But let's think about it from another angle. Those of you who are retired, I know I've got at least a few of you. When you, after a couple decades of work, of career, whatever that looked like, you finally get to this point where you don't have to have the alarm clock, you don't have to go anywhere. You ever have that moment as you start to transition that you think, now what? What do I do now? Now, for a real honest answer, if your spouse is retired, you ever notice maybe that things are a little bit different when they cross that threshold at home? Maybe there's a few of those instances of being a little stir-crazy. It's okay. Nobody will knock you for pointing fingers or jabbing elbows or anything like that. How do we do retirement well? How do we do retirement sanely? It's really the same kind of idea. You've retired. What now? I'll admit that while I was on sabbatical, I had some of those now what kind of moments. And I certainly would have a plan in my head, but as God is God and I'm not, God always has veto power over our plans. If you haven't learned that in your own life yet. But some days, the plan became just learning how to take care of myself and practicing that. And you know what? Jesus says that that is a part of Sabbath. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus answered these Pharisees who asked, Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for anybody but the priest to eat, and gave some to his companions. Now, there is far more involved, and it comes out of verses 3 through 5, than I am going to try and cover here. But I want you to get this. David, like Jesus and his entourage, like all of us, at some point was hungry. So even though it broke the Pharisees' rules, because this was bread that was set up in the temple and everything like that, and probably had been through 17 different sacraments to get it the way it was, he took that bread and he ate it. The human need trumped the rules that the Pharisees had created. And this idea of a rhythm between work and rest, it fits that that is valuable for our physical needs. You know, our bodies sometimes need that rest, and that rhythm helps it out. Kerry Newhoff quotes a guy in, in one of his books, He says, 70% of discipleship is a good night's sleep. Now that may seem so bizarre, but think about it. How much easier is just about every Christian discipline when you're well-rested? When you've had a good night's sleep, it's a lot easier to be kind, to be patient. I have not slept very well these last couple days and asked the kids, I'm a lot more patient when I am rested, to have self-control much easier when we are rested. Sometimes the discipline of a good night's sleep is real discipleship. 
You know, as awesome as phones are, or just about any electronic device, cannot be left on and run forever. They need to be plugged in. They need to be recharged. As awesome as the human body is, you know what? Sometimes it needs to be recharged. Work and rest, work and rest, work and Sabbath, work and Sabbath. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now again, there is a lot more here in this verse that I'm going to try and cover, but get this. This gift that we have in the Sabbath, Jesus is supreme Lord over it. Jesus Christ, the gift, is Lord over this gift. It's evidence that Sabbath is a blessing. Sabbath is a gift. It's not something to hold in disdain or think, I can't do that because I've got so much crazy busy stuff to do, as our Western culture may lead us to believe. Now, where do we go from here? What kind of next steps am I going to throw at you for this? I'll be honest. Uh, when I got to this point in writing, I, kinda, I started to wrestle a little bit. Do I really want to give you five to-dos about how to rest? About how to do Sabbath well? Or would that be just like the trip the Pharisees were falling on? So I'm going to whittle it down and I'm going to give you one. But it is one that is going to take a lot of practice. So be patient with yourself as you do it. And you will not complete it in one week. So just have it as something that is constantly running in your mind. But I'm going to set it up first. John Ortberg, some of you guys may have heard of him or read some of his books. He's a pastor out in Southern California. And he's there now. Back in the 90s, he was a pastor at Willow Creek in Chicago. Now, if you don't know, Chicago runs at about a million miles a minute. And Willow Creek, being a massive church, does not run a whole lot slower. And John, in just the pace of Chicago and the pace of Willow Creek life, started to experience the burnout and the exhaustion and the just, I'm so crazy busyness going on in his life. And so he called up his mentor, Dallas Willard, who is probably one of the top five Christian thinkers in the 20th century. I mean, on par with C.S. Lewis and Billy Graham. And he asks Dallas, he says, you know, I, I'm so busy all the time. How do I do this? And they're talking on the phone, and Dallas just has this long pause, as he often did, apparently, when he was talking to people. And he gives him one line. He says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John writes it down. He's like, okay, I got it. Now what else? I'm in a hurry here, Dallas. I need everything you got. Hurry up. Dallas says, there is nothing else ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It is a practice that will take practice. But when we get it, when we ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives, then we can start to experience the joy and the life of all of God's blessings and other gifts. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. 
you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.